In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them in open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in him. The word of the Lord. Shall we pray, O great God of highest heaven, occupy our lowly hearts. Father, we need you this morning as we come to hear your word proclaimed. For you are a God who is high and lofty. You are a God who created the heavens and the earth. It is you who keeps the stars and the planets in their courses above. Father, it is your laws that you have instituted in nature and they bow to your command. Father, it is you who leads us and guides us through times of difficulties and struggles and temptations and when we confess that our heart doubts because our eyes cannot see and our hands cannot touch and our minds cannot understand. But we know when answers are few, you give us yourself. And that is sufficient. Father, we come to you and we open up your word that we may hear your voice through the pages of your inspired holy word. The voice that is proclaimed through the prophets and the apostles and most brilliantly and most perfectly through your Son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, who fulfilled the righteousness of God by loving his neighbor as himself and loving the Lord with all his heart and soul and mind. And though we are unworthy, Christ has made us worthy by his righteousness, his substitutionary death, his resurrection in perfect life that he imputes to his people. Father, I pray that you would illuminate our minds to understand your word through the power of your spirit, that you would give us ears to hear and, heart, and eyes to see and hearts to love. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. You're not already there. It's Colossians chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 12, or I'm sorry, 11 through 15 on page 984 of your Pew Bible. If you don't have a Pew Bible uh, and you're not exactly sure where all these books are in the Bible, you can go to the front of your Bible. Uh, there's a table of contents. Sometimes there's alphabetically, sometimes it's by Old and New Testament. Colossians is about halfway through the New Testament, and you can look and see what page it is on your Bible uh, to be able to find that. But I was explaining to the children this morning how I am very excited about today. I've been looking forward to it for a long time because we get to share in the joy of baptism today uh, down at the ocean uh, to be able to sing and hear your, uh, your, the Word of God read and to pray and just rejoice. And usually there's a process that leads up to baptism when someone approaches me and says, hey, 
I'm considering baptism. I want to follow Jesus. And what does that mean? And I'd like to be able to understand what it means to follow Jesus. And I'll ask a candidate the question, do you know why we dunk people in the water and then pull them back out? And sometimes I get a blank look and get a stare, and sometimes people take a good shot at it, and some people get it. They get it right away. Uh, but ultimately, the reason we go to the beach and we bury somebody in the water, dunk them, and bring them back out because it's a dramatization of the gospel. Uh, three parts is that when they walk into the water, they are going into that water as a dead man or a dead man walking. Their final hours where they are no longer living for themselves and their own self-rule, their own autonomy, and their own kingdom. They are dying to themselves and going into the watery grave. And as I lay them down under the water for that brief moment, and I joke that I'll hold them down for a long time and pray a long, wordy prayer, but it's only for a moment that symbolizes the death they have died and the very fact that they are being united to the death of Christ. Their former life has been buried with Christ in the tomb never to rise again. And then as I bring them up, it is symbolic of, of that they have risen to new life being born again, being regenerated by the Spirit of God. They come to new life, washed by the water, and they walk out of their water to follow Jesus all the days of their life with great joy for what he has done for them and living a life that honors and glorifies him. Now, let me say as uh, Baptist, baptism is very important. We put it in our name. Uh, it's a big deal. Uh, but baptism does not save you. But baptism is an essential response of a believer to the gospel. An unbaptized believer is really an oxymoron. It's like a soldier without a uniform. It's like a football game without a ball. It's like a library with no books. Baptism is a necessary sign of the new covenant that thing that we, when we come to the table, that we celebrate this body and this blood is a symbol of the new covenant. We are celebrating that, and it's, it's declaring that that person has been united to Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. Baptism is not about what we do for God, but ultimately, and I want to communicate this through Colossians chapter 2, Baptism is the confession of what God has done in you and for you. Baptism is the confession of what God has done in you and for you. When a person goes into the waters of baptism, they are declaring two things, that you are one with Christ and that you have been won by Christ. See what I did there? A little homonym. Thank you, Donna, for the courtesy laugh. Ultimately, I want to see in Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, the very fact that those who go into the water of baptism are confessing that they are one with Christ, verses 11 and 12. As we have been going through the book of Mark, we see Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The good news of God's anointed one who has come. This is good news. Why is it good news? 
It is good news because the wages of sin that we could not pay have been paid for because Christ's death. And that his perfect righteousness enables us, has been given to us, has been imputed to us, has been wrapped, it wraps us now that when God looks at us, he no longer sees the wages of sin, but he sees Jesus and his perfect righteousness. And therefore, we can stand before a holy God, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. And we are freed from the wrath of God for the cosmic treason that we have committed. And we can go in life rejoicing and enjoying the good things of life, good food and good music and, and, and relationships and people and all of these things. Why? To the glory of God, because we don't get what we deserve. We get the righteousness of Christ. And that's what makes it good news. But those who are enter the good under uh, the waters of baptism have heard the new good news about Jesus, not just as heard the words and says, yeah, yada, yada, yada about Jesus, but they believe who he is and what he has done, and they have put their faith in him, and therefore they are one with him in his death, they are one with him in his burial, and they are one with him in his resurrection. Those who go into baptism are one with Christ in death. Notice verse 11. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In the Old Testament, the rite of circumcision would, was uh, the symbol that the male children would have to signify their belonging into the covenant uh, community of the people of God. It was a removal of a small portion of flesh that s signaled the inclusion in the people of God. However, just a simple ritual that they, that they performed on the eighth day was not sufficient to make them right with God. Isaiah chapter 29, and Isaiah was a bold prophet, and you can see in Isaiah 29, it says, This people draw near to me with their mouth. They pay lip service. They, Isaiah 1 and 2, it talks about you make offerings, you do all your sacrifices and your festivals, but your heart is nowhere near me, though your body is going through the motions. They honor me with their mouths and their lips while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is, is, a, commandment, is a commandment taught by men. They had um, performed the rites, but their hearts were not circumcised. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6 says, Circumcision was more than just a ritual, but it says the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. There's something internal, something in the being of person, in the heart of your offspring, so that you will do what? You will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that what? That you may live. 
And then it continues in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4. He got the, Jeremiah the prophet calls out to the people of God who generation after generation, if you read the story, they were wicked and they did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord over and over again. But a small remnant was faithful in Jeremiah's time that the evil and the unrighteous people who were self-righteous and went through the motions outnumbered by far the faithful remnant. It says, circumcise yourself to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your heart. So men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench you because of the evil of your deeds. See, the people of God and genuine circumcision was not simply an outward action, but it was an inward transformation. And so when Paul in Colossians chapter 2 picks this up, he, a Jew himself, using the richness of this Old Testament sign and symbol is saying that there is something more that must happen that's not simply a ritual, a a form of religion, but something internally has to happen. And notice in verse 11 what that is. It says it is circumcision, what? Made without hands by the circumcision of Christ. Genuine circumcision here in uh, Colossians 2 is the putting off of the body of flesh from a believer's heart by the Spirit of God. In other words, those who are one with Christ have their former way of life, their former worldly allegiances, and their formal sinful appetites cut away from their hearts. The presence of sin remains. We all sin. We all struggle with sin. There are per- all of us are susceptible to personal sins that we have because we have sinful hearts. The presence of sin is there, but the power of sin has been released and the penalty of sin has been paid for. Romans chapter 6, which I was going to preach on, uh, says this, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, this thing that Christ is cutting away from us, might be brought to nothing, might be killed, so that we would no longer be enslaved by sin. Ocean Park, those who experience the circumcision of Christ, um, who the baptism is the outward expression of an inward transformation of God, have been removed from solidarity with sin and have been united together with the death of Jesus Christ. In Tannenbrae's service on Good Friday, we sing the old spiritual that says, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And for those whose hearts have been united to Christ by faith, says it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Because if we are one with Christ, we are united together with his, his death. And therefore, when we go into the waters of the baptism, we are declaring that we have been made one with the death of Christ. Not only have we been made one with Christ in his death, but we have been made one with Christ in his burial. Look at uh, the first half of of verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism. Baptism is the public demonstration that your old sinful identity has been judged and condemned and executed with Christ and it no longer holds any authority over you. The wages of your sin have been paid by the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. 
And when your old ways of life and your old allegiances uh, have been laid in that tomb never to rise again, as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I have put to death my old way of life. It is no longer I who live. Why? Because we have laid our old life down with Christ. And it continues, and he says, uh, Paul also says in another book he wrote, Romans, he says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. Now, baptism is, does not save us, but baptism is an integral part of, the, of this process of, of, of salvation that happens. Faith and repentance and baptism and the Holy Spirit all through the book of Acts are emphasized over and over again for this transformation, for this being born again that happens. And this symbol that Chris is going to do this, after, this evening is saying, I am burying myself with Christ. Into, into Christ's death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In the watery grave of baptism, it symbolizes what the Spirit of Christ has accomplished in our hearts. Your old sinful identity is a thing of the past and it is laid in the grave, buried to rise no longer. It is no longer the reigning influence of our life because we are one with Christ in his death and his burial. Not only that, or we are one with Christ in resurrection. Notice the latter half of verse 12, in which you also were raised with him, raised with Christ through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Those who have been united to Christ have been buried with Christ in his death, but have put Christ, but Christ's everlasting eternal life has been breathed into their spiritual lungs today. Those who are born again are beginning to enjoy eternal life now. Eternal life is not something that's coming down the road. It's beginning now who have been regenerated, who have been born again, have new spiritual life that is beginning to pulse through their spiritual veins. They have been liberated from the former chains of death and sin that held them in bondage, and they have been granted a new citizenship in the God's kingdom through Christ. They are a new person with a new resurrection life. We go back to Galatians chapter 2 that we read just a few seconds ago. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. How do we know when we look at a person that this spiritual life has been taken place and happened within the heart of the person? The, the first sign that spiritual life is present in a person is what? Faith. Faith is the, the first evidence that then many people believe that spiritual life is a reward who people who put their faith in Jesus. 
But Scripture says the natural man cannot understand the things of the Lord. Uh, uh, Romans 3, none is righteous, no, not one. None seeketh after God. There has to be an internal change in the heart of people that we have taken the heart of stone out God, and He puts a heart of flesh, a heart that loves the Spirit and the things of the Lord, a heart that desires for the things of the Lord. And that's what we call being born again. I sometimes use this example um, of a seed that is growing. Now, at first, you see this as this seed breaks across the surface. It's starting to pull, uh, to push it through. But in order for that seed to break through the surface, a lot has been going on internally in the heart of that, that little seed. Roots have been growing. Water has, has come across. And, and all the, the nutrients are being soaked. And this is starting to grow. And when faith pops through the soil, we know through the preaching of the word that the Spirit of God has been working in the heart of a person. Maybe that person responds to the, to the, the altar call. That person uh, is in a conversation, and as C.S. Lewis in his experience, he said, I got on the bus as an atheist, I got off the bus 45 minutes, and I believed in God. And because the Spirit of God is working sometimes dramatically in the, in the picture of, of Paul and the way to, way to Emmaus, Emmaus, and sometimes in very subtle ways where we finally understand and get it as we read the pages of Scripture. Jesus is who he says he is, and I trust him. Why? Because spirit, the Spirit of God is working in the heart of a person. Without the life-giving work of the Spirit, a person will yawn at the offer of infinite joy that is found only in Christ. Only those infused with the life of Christ will respond to the gospel with genuine saving faith. And this is why we must be faithful day in and day out with people that we meet, that we share Christ, that we... Um, teach it to our children and our friends and family member and call them to respond and do, be faithful to proclaim, to repent and believe and trust the Spirit of God to work in the hearts of people. Now, one of these, uh, also you have to realize um, that life, you have been given the fullness of life because you have been united to Christ by faith. And just as Jesus rose from the dead and he lives today, we have been given, who are united to Christ by faith, a new spiritual life. And because of that new spiritual life, freedom, because we are one with Christ in his resurrection. And if we are one with Christ in his death and burial and resurrection, we declare that as we enter the waters of baptism, because baptism is the confession of what God has done in us, and for us. We declare that we are one with Christ, and we declare that we have been one with Christ. Two, some 2,000 years ago, Christ lived, and the shock waves still reverberate throughout all of creation because of his life, his death, and his resurrection. And as we consider baptism today, we remember that it is only because of what Christ has done for us that we are able to live and be forgiven 
and to be liberated from the captivity of our sin. Notice verse 13. We have been won by Christ from death to life. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, what does it say? God made alive together with him. Without the death, without the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all mankind is spiritually dead. Held in bondage by the reign of sin, guilty before the almighty judge of the universe who is coming to judge the living and dead. The spiritual uncircumcision of our heart causes us to have no desire to, for the things of God. It causes us to rebel against God. It says, God, I don't want you in charge. Before the work of Christ who loved us while we were yet sinners, our eyes were blind and we could not see the beauty of Christ. Our ears were deaf, were deaf and we could not hear the soothing melody of the gospel. Our hearts were stoned and we were callous to the misery of our plight and we were unmoved by the offer of grace. However, if you are united to Christ, if you are one with Christ by faith, God has united you to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and he has breathed new life into your spirits. Just as he, in Genesis, breathed life into Adam. In doing so, the scales of your sin that covered your eyes fell away that you could see Christ for who he truly was and you put your faith in him. Your ears were enabled, to hear, uh, were enabled to hear the voice of Jesus that says, follow me. Your heart of stone was replaced uh, by, with a heart of tender flesh that hates its sin and now desires the things of the Lord. New life that has been won by Christ, enables your faith to grow, your love to abound, and your hope to overflow in the gospel with each new day. And as I think it was Charles Wesley or John Wesley, one of the Wesley brothers who wrote this, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night. Thine eyes diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with life. My chains fell off, my heart was free, and I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Ocean Park, in a world that is desperately seeking the good life, seeking love, seeking meaningless, seeking uh, purpose, seeking significant, believers in Christ who have been united to him are the only ones who can truly live the good life because the good life is only found in the nature and character of a God expressed in Christ. And account of that new life, we are now to free to live life to the fullest as God has designed us to live, to find our satisfaction and our meaning and our purpose in him. All who enter the waters of baptism are declaring that they have been won by Christ from death to life. And it continues, not only from death to life, we have been won by Christ from condemnation to forgiveness. The end of verse 13, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, thus he set aside nailing it to the tree. 
If you've ever watched Court TV or the O.J. Simpson case or all these uh, high-profile cases, you can very much see the attorneys uh, um, the, uh, who bring the evidence against the defendant eyewitnesses and field experts and photos and documents and DNA evidence and the murder weapon or the bloody glove or phone records. And Paul uses in here that imagery to show the hopelessness of our guilt and our shame before Almighty God. And what uh, sin and death is the prosecuting attorney and say, he belongs to us. Let me show you the reasons why. Sin and death and guilt and cosmic treated treason. There is no shadow of a doubt. There is no technicality and there is no plea bargain on the table. Yet those who have been united to Christ, Christ has taken the evidence and the penalty and the debt and nailed it to the cross. J.B. Phillips who wrote a, a really good um, translation of the, of, the, of the essence of this text. He says this, He, Christ, has forgiven all your sins. Christ has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of broken laws and condemnations which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it over His own head on the cross. Ocean Park, for those of you who are one with Christ, who have put your faith in the promise of the gospel, who Christ is and what he has done, when you were united, your guilt was nailed to the cross. Your condemnation was nailed to the cross. Your shame was nailed to the cross. You have been delivered from the sin and the weight and the burden that is wrapped around your neck and pulling you to the bottom of the, of the ocean. Martin Luther, one of my favorite quotes that he has, because even when we realize that Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, there's still a level of burden that we have. And, and Satan whispers in our ears those lies. Jesus didn't know about this. Jesus didn't know about this. Jesus wouldn't have died for you if you knew about this. You're a wretch. And this is what Luther said. So when the devil throws your sins in his face and declares, you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where He is, there I shall be also. Amen? Being made one with Christ in His death and burial of erection has, de has delivered you from the condemnation of sin and the sentence of death that is rendered against you. And there, therefore, you can boldly embrace the promise of Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For all who enter the waters of baptism are declaring they have been won by Christ from condemnation to forgiveness, from death to life, and then in verse 15, from domination to deliverance. Notice verse 15, he says, He disarmed, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. 
1979, Saddam Hussein forced his cousin, the then president of Iraq, to, re to resign as president. He arrested his political opponent, and he had hundreds of them executed. He thus became, uh, began a two-decade reign of terror over Iraq. Hussein lived in a palace, palace of incredible luxury and opulence while the people he oppressed were around him lived in poverty. Among the many heinous acts and crimes against humanity was the chemical weapons attack against the Kurd people that killed almost 5,000 unknowing innocent men, women, and children and caused long-term nerve damage and cancer and blindness to nearly 10,000 others. Eventually, he would kill and destroy and devastate anyone who opposed him or vo voiced any op opposition whatsoever until in 2003 he became an outlaw when Baghdad fell to the U.S.-led coalition. For nine months, Hussein eluded the uh, ever-looking gaze of the United States military until he was found one night in a rudimentary six-by-eight bunker about three miles outside his hometown of Tikrit. The man who was once living in opulence and luxury, who's obsessed with his hygiene, was found to be dirty, disheveled, unkept, and dirty with a bushy beard and matted hair. The world would watch him stand trial as watch his bizarre behaviors and incoherent ramblings before the court in his own country. He was found guilty and he was hung for crimes against humanity December 30th, 2006. The once proud and powerful and ruthless tyrannical dictator was humiliated and disgraced. Ocean Park Justice Hussein was condemned by the Iraqi courts the rulers of this world have been defeated, have been exposed and humiliated by the cross of Christ. The tyrants of the powers of this world who mercilessly steal and kill and destroy the people of this world were rendered impotent by the cross. They thought they had won. They thought they had won when they dragged Jesus through the streets of Jerusalem when they plucked his beard, when they stripped him naked, when they flogged him, when they spit on him, when they made him carry his cross, they thought they had him. When they held him into contempt, when they spat and hit him and said, who hit you, prophesy. When they mocked him saying, Jesus, King of the Jews. When they nailed him to the cross. Yet all along, in the midst of their anger and their bitterness and their, their, uh, their uh, sin, God was accomplishing their defeat and the victory of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of light over the powers of darkness. God was making them publicly examples that how it utterly impotent they are before Christ's divine love and forgiveness of sin how utterly helpless they were to defeat the divine power that raises the dead. 
Ocean Park, all who are one with Christ have been one with, by Christ. It is, they are no longer held in bondage by the powers of the world, the old error, the old sin and death and the flesh, but they have been set free to live in righteousness and life and forgiveness and grace by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you have been won by Christ, you can rest assured knowing that he governs the cosmos and he secures you from every threat. The powers of darkness, like the, the reign of Hussein, might rage in their final hours, but they are powerless over your future. As Luther said, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not from him. His rage we can endure. God's truth, um, um, his rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. All who enter the waters of baptism are declaring that they have been won by Christ from domination to deliverance, from death to life, from condemnation to forgiveness. Because baptism is the confession of what God has done in you and for you. You are one with Christ and you have been one by Christ. As we close, uh, there's a few points of application I just want to put and, and have you think about. The significance, the theological significance of baptism as we go for the next few hours, we return to our home and I want you to think about the significance of baptism who you are, and who God is according to what Scripture says. Not what the television tells you, not what social media tells you, not what your mama tells you, but according to what Scripture says. Scripture says that we are lost in our sin. We are born in the kingdom of darkness, and we must be rescued by the Prince of Light. His name is Jesus, who has come and bore the weight of our sin, Though he was holy, though he was righteous, though he loved the Lord with all his heart and soul and mind and his neighbor as himself, he laid his life down to pay the penalty that we could not. And he gives us the righteousness that we do not have, that we may stand before God and have peace again. And fellowship with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and all those who put their faith in the promises of God in Christ. Some of you don't know Christ. You haven't heard the gospel before, or before today you've never heard the gospel in such a way that you've never had ears to hear, and you are saying you feel the weight of your sin, the guilt, the burden, the shame, and you don't believe there's anything that can be done to change your life and to fix and restore the, the, the scars of sin. But the gospel tells us this, that the shame the burden, the separation was nailed to the cross and you bear it no more. Praise the Lord. And the gospel says, when Jesus did that, he took my penalty and my sin and he gives us his righteousness and he calls us, believe the promise of God today by repenting of your old ways and your old sin. Repent means to turn away. But we don't just simply turn away and try to find something else. We turn to Christ. We say no to sin in our own reign, and we turn to Jesus and say, Lord, I am a sinner. Save me. I trust what you did. 
on the cross, and I believe you. And as you be, put your faith in Christ, you confess your sin, and you confess your need for Jesus, and you follow Jesus in baptism. It would be my joy as we sing the final songs to come talk to me after church, uh, my email, uh, call me, uh, set up a, a coffee, lunch. I want to tell you about Jesus and tell you about the gospel. Others of you are in here and you've done the ritual when you were a little boy or when you were a little girl. You remember uh, they played the song and you went and baptized and at the old wooden church or the old brown church down the lane. And you remember it nostalgically, but there's really no evidence no change in your life. There's nothing that you can put your hand on except, oh, I, I've been baptized before. I took the plunge. Maybe you're not a believer because the heart has not been changed. There's no evidence of fruits. And I want you, as we consider baptism today, consider, do I really trust Jesus? Do I really know Jesus? And has it brought the Spirit bringing forth fruit in your life? And there may be something that you need to repent of unconfessed sin and treasured sin that has allowed you to drift from the mooring of your salvation, Jesus Christ. And then finally, for those of you who have followed Jesus and you've been baptisms all the days of your life, you know the sweetness of the gospel and the promises and, uh, that are a balm to your weary, weary soul. Continue each day making Christ your pursuit, your joy, your glory as you pursue him in his word, in worship, in fellowship, in community, trusting Jesus every day, repenting of your sin and trusting Jesus, repenting of your sin and trusting Jesus, that you may be satisfied in Christ above all things.